Hey, Cracked fans. With the summer months just around the corner, we know all of you are beginning to think about how you can best maximize your chances to improve your game with the warm weather. Well, thankfully, we here at Cracked Rackets are so excited to tell all of you about the 254 Tennis Camp happening this summer at Baylor University. Now, over the course of three weeks in June, starting June 12th through the 16th and ending June 26th through the 30th, you'll have the opportunity to learn from from some of the best coaches in the business in an all-encompassing tennis experience. You'll have the opportunity to improve each and every part of your game, whether that be on the singles court, whether that be on the doubles court, through drilling, through point play, match play as well. You'll also, of course, receive a free t-shirt for participating in the camp, but also have the chance to see yourself broadcasted as our Crack Rackets team will be providing coverage of the final day each week at this 254 tennis camp. Again, you'll have the opportunity to learn from some of the best coaches in the business. I promise Coach Michael Woodson and the Baylor team going to make it an extraordinarily enjoyable time. How can you get signed up today? Well, you can learn more information by visiting the Baylor website by going to baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp. Again, that's baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp to sign up today. Now, this camp open to any and all entrants, but limited only by age, number, grade level, and or gender. Again, you can learn more about this camp by going to baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp today. Don't miss out, folks. Going to be three very exciting, fun weeks of tennis down at Baylor University. Be sure to sign up for the 254 Tennis Camp happening at Baylor today. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, May 5th. On today's show, we've got a belated edition of one of your favorite segments we do here on the Mini Break Podcast. It's Tennis Point Tuesday here on a Thursday where we check in on the latest and greatest deals and equipment being offered by our friends at Tennis Point and, of course, break down all the action that's happening across the ATP and WTA Tours. And let's be honest, Madrid's been awesome. It's been a great sequence of tennis we've seen over the past couple of days on both the men's and women's side. And I know one of the storylines that has emerged over the past couple of days, at least on tennis Twitter, why are the women so far ahead of the men? To be quite honest, I get that's a relevant question. There are many scheduling quirks that I have questions with on the ATP and WTA tours. But as we so frequently do here at Crack Rackets, I want to focus on what has truly been a splendid week of tennis. And as always, chaos has unfolded on the women's side. We said with Iga Swiatek out of this event, it would be an excellent litmus test to see who is the best of the rest. We know Iga's the favorite entering the French Open. Who's number two? Who's number three? And as always, WJ delivered us a surprise with the results we've seen unfold in Madrid. Now on the men's side, we have the return of Rafa. We have Novak continuing to look to find his form and then just a smorgasbord 
smorgasbord of players, whether it be Tsitsipas, Alcaraz, looking to definitively establish themselves as the other guys who could not only make deep runs, but potentially win the 2022 French Open. Then you have guys like Zverev, like Rude, like others who are struggling to find their form. Will they even be a factor over the two weeks in Paris? Again, plenty for us to contemplate on this show. And if you're going to talk about it all, you better have some good help along the way. And thankfully, I do each and every time we do these Tennis Point Tuesdays here on Crack Rackets. And joining me, as he always does, it's our guy from over at Tennis Point, Nate Walrith. Nate, welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you doing today? Fantastic. Great day. Great day of tennis um, in Madrid. And yeah, college tennis right around the corner this weekend with NCAAs. It's a good time to be a tennis fan. I know there are a lot of monitors and apps you can now download on your phone that help you keep track of your health stats, right? What's How many mm-hmm. steps are you walking? Are you burning calories? Are you spending too much time <laughs> on your phone? Are you sleeping enough? Yes, way I, too much time on my yeah, phone. I wish, I wish I could measure how many hair follicles I lose in the month of May because it's just a busy freaking month. You've got the NCAA tournament. French Open starts at the end of the month. We're going to do our Sweet 16 interviews next week, so I'm going to try and interview 32 coaches. May's the month like March Madness tired wired May Madness because it is madness unfolding across levels and obviously I know you guys at Tennis Point I have dipped your toes in all levels of tennis as well you sponsored the ITA rankings and plan to play a big role in college tennis moving forward but of course I know you're also watching all the action happening uh, on the ATP and WTA tours as well with that said before we get into any of that got to talk about the latest and greatest products being offered at tennis-point.com and of course listeners know if they use our promo code CR15 when they make their purchase. And by the way, treat yourself. You earned it. It's the turning of the season. That winter fit, it's not going to do. New shoes, new gear, maybe even update your strings, your racket frame if it's been a while. You can find it all on tennis-point.com. That promo code CR15 is going to get you 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. With that set, Nate, what do you got for me? What should we be buying if we're making our purchases this week? Mother's Day's on Sunday. It's not too late. We'll start off with the, I know shoes have been a hot commodity on the market right now. Everybody's like, what do you guys have shoe-wise? Well, we got Lotto comes in clutch with a Lotto Raptor 100 speed. It's a lot of cool colorways. Just put them up on Instagram today as we had them on the site, as well as the Lotto Mirage 100. Uh, both speeds, both these are, I mean, durable sneakers that you can find at a high, perfor- high performance players can, can rely on these shoes. You got the Raptor more built for energy return and cushioning. And then you get the Mirage, more of a sta- uh, st- like the stable, supportive shoe that will allow you to change directions. You know, it's just uphold, it upholds well, even for an aggressive mover. And then uh, I would say the Wilson Rush Pro 3s, 3.0s, that uh, Dave Lemke featured on the, uh, the live podcast when you guys came and hosted with an exclusive deal with Wilson, matches the Wilson Clash, great shoe. Um, I heard a lot of good things about it. I know uh, Jensen Brooks, was using it. I know Vignesh, uh, Gagnani, I, I'm just going to butcher his last name. No, you got uh, to Goganeni. Sure. Goganeni. Goganeni. Um, I know he's a big proponent of these shoes as well. He's always asking me when we get those in. So, <laughs> no, two, two, uh, two great shoes, actually, three great shoes there. And uh, yeah, all the latest and greatest rackets, ton of rackets have come out this year. We've uh, headlined. We've discussed this with with Dave before, but I'm curious your perspective, because I'll do respect to Dave. I just, I'm curious what you're doing as well. I know the older you get, the more 
I suppose, sensitive and aware of these things you become. But how frequently should people be updating their shoes? Because there's two types of people, right? They're the ones who are mm-hmm. flying through all these different new kicks and have shoes on the ready in case these ones feel off. And then there are the people who are wearing the same set of shoes until there's a hole in them, until it's literally feasibly mm-hmm. impossible. I think you know which category of human I fall under. I don't even have to tell you, but I'm curious, <laughs> you know, there is a middle ground there that people no, should yeah. be exploring. What is it? I mean, when you, anytime you see like where like the bottom of the sole is rubbed smooth and they're to the point where you're, you're reaching another layer of, of. So like when rubber. you say rub smooth, it, there are no longer treads on it or treads. No it treads. is just one yeah. flat layer. The paint is dry. Oh my God. Smooth, First like, of all, rub- I like am thinking, I want to be like, I, I would go grab it from my room right now. If I was in it, that's the shoes I have. Like I totally get what you're saying. A hundred percent. Once those boys are rubbed smooth and you start to see the, like the white layer of rubber come, like kind of reveal itself from underneath, it's probably time to start looking. Um, you're probably in the market for a new shoe. For me, it's oddly enough because of the way I guess I slide, I'm tearing shoestrings like crazy. So like I'm looking for the shoes that have the eyelets higher up on the like, near the tongue. Sure. Um, I know like with, with just a Diodora pair, my my buddy and I had had. We both tore the shoestring. Like, I don't, so it's just different shoes for different movers. Obviously, not everybody has the same preferences. Everybody moves differently. That's kind of what it comes down to. But yeah, I think that's a, a good question that a lot of us, you know, we get these returns, these six-month warranty shoes come in, and there's people always want to like it has to be on the bottom of, of the shoe um, for for you to kind of get get that six-month warranty put into place. But no, to quote share and future, different strokes for different folks. One of the best yep. Gap commercials of all time. Um, yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, I have to agree with you. I'm not the expert. You are certainly. It does feel like that is when you start to feel the wear. Is what I would agree with is when that tread is completely gone. Now, again, to each their own. But it's easier. To, it's, it's weird. It's a, it's a tough balance because I actually like when it's worn in a little bit. Oh, everyone I'm, does. That's when your foot's most comfortable and you just yeah. feel most fluid in the shoe. You just feel like I am exactly. in control of this foot now. I know that sounds Thanks, stupid yo. to say, but there's just no more stiffness. At the same time, mm-hmm. it's not loose. Like your foot is just comfortable now. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the Joe resolutions I've had, I'm like, they've just been walking that perfect line of they're just worn in enough where like you feel like you're sliding on a hard court as well as you would like on a clay almost. But no, that's a uh, fun conversation. I got a question for you. Do you use a dampener or not? This is the thing like I am shocked by how many people do not use a dampener. I am. Great you're, question. Are you, are so you I, a dampener? So I blame my profession. I blame. It's one of the I don't think it's a downside, but whenever I am at a tennis club or whenever I'm doing anything tennis, I'm always doing field work. I'm always surveying who's using dampeners, who's not, what are the latest rackets, what are the brands that are winning. That's, again, being in the field, seeing the people and communicating with them. That's what you got to do in this job. The majority of humans use dampeners in my experience. I don't think it's close to – well, I don't think it's over 75%, but it's greater than 50 It's in that it's, range. It's, it's probably around two-thirds. Me and, you and I need to collect our data on this. I we need to put this together. <laughs> like, anybody, like, I'm curious, anybody over like a four UTR, I want to know what, what, what they're – you know well, what I mean? tweet at us at Al Gruskin at tennis underscore point USA on Instagram, Twitter, whatever it may be. Do you use a dampener? Actually, please do because again, this is us doing field work, and we can send out the tweet afterwards. We're, we're going to do this. In my experience, the majority do do. I do not. 
I do not like the dampener. But I use a wow, Dave Limke's wow. going to get mad at me. I use wow. a Prince Graphite. Like, I don't think that <laughs> – it would be weirder if I did use a dampener. I just don't – I like I like the feel. I like to feel it, the ball against my I, – I feel like I lose feel when I put a dampener on. And I know that's not true, but it's a feel thing. My I don't feel case, I'm compromised. My, my other case study is that I've never met a bad player that uses a rubber band as a dampener. <laughs> <laughs> that's true I, well in my experience it's all coaches or people who have been in the game for a while who have learned that trick like yeah. you're not using a rubber band on as a dampener unless you've been in a pinch in a serious situation you're like i need a rubber band and if you've been in a pinch it means your tennis was relevant and like exactly. I would, that's a great theory that again we're two of the great minds of our generation when it comes to these sorts of theories nate so i agree this is a good uh or maybe we're not two of the great minds but we're two of the available minds of our generation <laughs> when it comes to this theory. And so that's another good one. High socks versus low socks. I like to, that's my field work there. You're, def, you're definitely a low sock guy. Oh, you bite your tongue. Do you, uh, I, absolutely not. Under no circumstances. I'm not showing ankle. No one wants to see that. <laughs> Come on. Um, with these hairy legs, no chance. Um, yeah. I'm high, high whites, right? High whites. Oh, I, I don't distinguish based on color. I don't discriminate. Okay. It's totally. Fine. I don't even know if I. I don't think I. I don't think I own a pair of high high black socks. I really My little I brother has a pair of high whites that had has our high school moniker on them, and I am my ten year anniversary of high school is like next year. Uh, or I graduate. Yeah. Or no, no, no. Yeah. 2022, 2023 will be 10 Quit years. Quit dating us, man. No, yeah. yeah. Point being, I still rep the socks because they're gorgeous. Like they're high whites with the logo on. It's just like a really good pair of athletic socks. And so I was like, why would I throw these out? I'm not ashamed of where I went to high school. Um, and so high socks have to be one. Hat or no hat? More of a story is you do your wash enough to keep those boys clean. Um, <laughs> well, I, I have to. Did you ask me hat or no hat? Yeah. I, I, I don't, have you ever seen me without a hat? That's true. <laughs> but I, I feel like people are pretty polarized in that category as well. So I always they like are, to check. No, they are. I, I cannot play tennis without a hat. I don't, I don't even want to try. I feel like it, it's part of like one. I don't know. I feel like I'm, that's part of my uniform. It's like you have to. Have I hate I hate wearing a hat when I wear hate wearing a hat when I have to play. I do now because I don't feel confident in showing my hair to the population. Um, but no, you don't I can't. Wear a hat when you play tennis. You oh, I need to be free and flowing. That wind makes me feel great. No, no hat. You got a you got a ninja headband like Rafa or what? Uh, in my prime, sometimes. Um, you, yeah, you got so much hair. You're gonna you're gonna need one. Yeah, I mean now you, I do you, wear a hat because <laughs> I have to. No, I agree with you there. Um, that's, yeah, that's a good one. And then sweatbands, no sweatbands. Older you get, I mean, again, these are little things. Do people care about it, this? It, Probably it, not. It, it better be over ninety degrees if you're pulling out sweatbands. Yeah, uh, false. Indoors, outdoors, I have. To. I'm, I'm just, I'm yeah, just yeah, I was like, what are you that, talking I, about? I, that's I, a I terrible take. No, that's a bad take. I actually. But they do have to be the longer wristbands. I don't like the little short and nubby ones. They got to be like the the Rafa, size, like good size wristbands. You like a palm. Pilot. It's got to be a dry. It's got to be a draw, like drop some real sweat. If you, know I mean? you want to be able to look at it and say "beam me up, Scotty," and like you know <laughs> type on it and whatever, and it should be able to do things. No, I that's fair. I mean, again, these are all little <laughs> things, but and that's all your the, tennis point Tuesday, right there. Yeah, exactly. There should we wrap the show? Is that enough? That's, uh, right, that's uh, it. Yeah, all the latest and greatest products. Again, tennis-point.com. Update your shoes. Get your sweatbands. Maybe you need a new shock absorber. Or whatever it may be. Shock absorber.
absorber or dampener? What do you call? It? I mean, same. It's the same term. Uh, yeah, we, we need a cooler word for it. That's the bottom line. Yeah, exactly. We're not talking grommets though here today. The point being, all the latest and greatest available tennis-point.com. Promo code is CR15. With that said, Nate, let's dive into the pro tennis action we've seen unfolding and. It's busy times right now. Again, you've got the ATP action in Madrid, the WTA action in Madrid. Let's start on the men's side as that play has now officially gotten underway. And earlier in the week, we focused on the women's side with David Kane. We'll now focus on what's unfolded so far for the men. And I mean, yeah, we're approaching the quarterfinals. Is Alcaraz, did he beat Cam Norrie? I know he won that first set 6-4. I was doing a show in the midst of it. I don't know if that match finished yet. It's probably still going. I don't think it's finished yet. Yeah. And Alcaraz is 4-3 on serve in the second. Alcaraz, if he wins, would face Rafael Nadal. Let's start with Rafa, who, of course, is making his return from injury. And for Rafa, wasn't a, you know an easy sort of draw for him? Right off the bat, he has to play one of the fastest rising players on the ATP rankings and would be the, new, uh, the most improved player of the year unequivocally if Carlos Alcaraz hadn't made the jump that he has in the Amir Kasmanovic. Rafa, 6-1 first set against Kasmanovic. I want to give Kasmanovic all the credit in the world because he found his bearings. He locked in physically, was willing to make that match a track meet, was able to, after going down a break of serve, get that break back and just force the breaker, had his chances. Ultimately, though, Rafa looked fit, didn't play his best, but put a million returns in play and gave himself just a chance to be in every point on the Kasmanovic serve. One in six victory for Rafa. Today he faces a David Goffin who had to qualify to get into Madrid. But you look for Goffin who has struggled so much over the last 52 weeks. He has found his form of late. Wins that title in Marrakesh at the start of April. Round of 16 in Monte Carlo. Now comes through qualifying. Knocks off Karatsev. Botik van de Senskulp. Had multiple match points today in his third set breaker. Ultimately though, comes up a bit short. Rafa survives. 6-3-5-7-7-6. Your impressions of the first two Rafa performances back on court. What a ridiculous draw for Rafa to come back to. Uh, I mean, Kachmanovic has been one of the, I don't know, 15, 10 to 15 hottest players on the tour. Then you reach a, I mean, a Gofan who you would have not said this a month ago, but well, let me just he, say quickly: not one of the ten to fifteen, one of the five. He's made what? Yeah, I think I was gonna, seven, I, six or seven straight quarterfinals. Like he has been in terms of your litmus test of like how fit are you, Rafa? It couldn't yeah, imagine a worse yeah. first match. I mean, again, no. you could say, well, what about Medvedev? Or like, yeah, yeah, of course that would be worse. But first match possibilities, Kasmanovic is probably the player you hope to avoid the most. Kasmanovic gave Carlos Alcaraz all he could handle, and Alcaraz is arguably been one of the hottest, like the hottest player on tour. So yeah, Kachmanovic was just a brutal matchup for Rafa to come back to. The fact that he dominated that first set, um, but then yeah, Kachmanovic kind of set his feet in and made Rafa dig out in the tiebreaker. I thought Rafa might be a little bit worn down today. He gets tested in another three hour plus battle with Gofan and that was just incredible tennis. I mean, Gofan's forehand, he, he was moving so well, getting to the forehand, even, I mean, deep into the backhand corner. And just, he plays with such high margins kind of similar to Rafa, where that ball is just pushed back to the deep baseline, actually to Rafa's forehand, and opens up the court so well, he had chances to win it. Uh, just got a little tight on the down the line forehand that he pulled the trigger on, where he had Rafa kind of buried. But Rafa just, as we've seen a million times, continues the fight, finds the good, hits his only two drop shots uh, on both saving match points. Just 
has the balls to go for that and come up with two winners. I mean, just a ridiculous match. The inv- like the atmosphere was amazing. I love Rafa's outfit. Back in Madrid's, uh, what is he? Quarter- now he's back in the quarterfinals for the 99th time in his career at an ATP event. Just a ridiculous comeback story again from Rafa. And it's like, he would be the story of the, the year with the incredible year he's having. But we got a guy like Carlos Alcaraz who just busts on the scene. And it's, it feels like Rafa's story is what he's done this year is somewhat underrated. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say that. You look for Rafael Nadal to start his season again. He's lost what one he, match. What is he, 23-1? Yeah, he's lost one? one match to Taylor Fritz, 6-3-7-6, in that Indian Wells final match. He played with, what, a cracked oh, rib. And exactly. so for him to, you know, again, get off to the start that he has, you look at some of the seasons he's put together in his prime, like 78-10 in 08, 71-10 in 2010, 81-7 in 2013. He's on that sort of freaking pace, and he turns 36 years old in June. And for Rafa, I mean, you look for him in, you know, again, the level he showed in his first match. First of all, he made 68% of his first serves, won 73% of his first serve points. His plus one play when, you know, Kasmanovic floated a return of server, didn't get a clean look at it. It was lights out for Rafa the same way it has been on clay court since he walked onto the ATP tour back in the early 2000s. That hit that well, that play looked so refined early on in his first match against Kasmanovic. That's positive sign number one, right? Well, for sure. One question though: Why do you think it took Rafa to the third set breaker to, to hit a drop? Like, do you not think that's in his head as a, a strategy that he can use with his massive forehand that pushes guys back? I'm just surprised that it took him that it took him three hours to figure out that the drop shot could be utilized and executed well against. You know what I mean? Like, it just felt like that was like. Why like that could it feels like that could prolong his career that and coming forward a little bit more could prolong prolong his career two more years. Well, I think he does do those things more frequently. I think he did them pretty well against Kasmenovic. And again, Kasmenovic mm-hmm. won fifty three percent of his first serve points, was at like thirty eight percent on his second serve points. Rafa just made a million returns. He just played exactly how you would expect, uh, how you would hope someone would play a first match back is just try to find your bearings, high percentage tennis, stick to the plays that you perform best at. He did exactly that. And then when Kasmanovic was able to expand things physically in that second set, Rafa was ready for it. Everything was warmed up. Everything was refined. You know, he was start ready to move forward more frequently, ready to a little more sting on that plus one forehand to win himself a few more free points in critical moments. Again, the fact that Rafa is now 11-0 in matches after after six-week layoffs and he's dropped just two sets in those 11 matches, that might be the most impressive stat of his career. It's just undeniable how remarkable Rafa is as a competitor. And then again, he goes up, what, 4-2 in that third set breaker? And you start to think yep. to yourself, okay, Rafa's going to pull away with this one. And he survived. And yeah, Gofen did a great <laughs> job taking that ball early on the rise and you know, certainly the rust for Rafa, I thought you saw it in, in in parts of this match. I just don't think he played the cleanest match from the ground. And you look at the stats for Rafa in this one. Again, he makes 66% of his first serves, but, you know, he was 3-11 on his breakpoint chances. And just, yeah. you know, you felt like he, Gofen was able to get away with some plus one balls or some approach shots that he would hang in the court that usually Rafa's knife in those returns away. He wasn't. And yet it's no, just that's true. Again, I think the return, the return match points. But like, look yeah. at the match points and how he fought them off. Just again, 
Was there anything low percentage Rafa did on court in his first return back? I, I would say no. Like he just he's it's just it's typical Rafa. It's like him finding his bearings. And even if Alcaraz beats him in yeah, the quarterfinals, yeah. which is very, well, first of all, Alcaraz right now, by the way, uh, six four five four up on Cam Norrie, still on serve in that second set. I mean, he's your honor, like. Has he shown you enough? Considering he's still going to have more time to get matches under his belt, he's on the path. Like nothing I've oh, seen yeah. this week is disqualifying in the slightest. He, this is exactly what you expect from Rafa. Hundred percent. No, I, I, I'm just like I, I. I thought he was going to have look a step slower, look a little um, tentative. I mean, I didn't know how serious the cracked rib injury was, but I know the, there was a, the foot issue as well. I was just surprised to see his level um, and be able to maintain for three hours. Go fun. That too. He, he's a matchup problem, I think, in a way for, for Rafa because he does like he plays with a large margin just like Rafa does, and he's moving like right now he looks healthy, he's moving really well. I didn't think Rafa played poorly at all. I think maybe he didn't return quite as well as you'd like he had hoped, but I thought he looked physically pretty pretty strong. And I mean, it, he only hit seven aces, I think, in the match. But no, I think Rafa's and if you're a Rafa fan, you have to feel good about him having a chance to contend. At, I mean, as long as the draw maybe eases up a little bit at Roland Garris. I mean, I feel like this draw is just in- insane. If this is, he's going to look like this at the French. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. with that in mind, quick tangent for you. Favorite, five favorite men's matchups right now on tour. We're going to disqualify Rafa versus Novak. And I don't even think we're going to put Roger in this part of the conversation because until he's healthy, he's just not a part of this conversation. But obviously, you know, if Rafa plays Novak, that's getting a Sports Center clip in the first 30 minutes of Sports Center because those are two of the most, if not the two most famous athletes in men's professional tennis and certainly uh, two of, if not the two winningest in men's tennis as well. Outside of that matchup, is Alcaraz Nadal like the number one must-see matchup right now in men's tennis? Is that the favorite? Because I have a list, a short list, but I'm curious if that's number one for you. Sure, I, yeah, for sure. I think that's we. I got to see it. We got to see it twice in Indian Wells. Is kind of the. Uh, well, I mean, what a way to kick off the rivalry. At, at Indian Wells, you play a practice match against each other, then you face each other in the real draw. I mean, it felt like that was just the start of something special. Is one guy enters his his prime and one guy hangs on to his prime. I guess not really hangs on. He's thriving, so he's not really hanging yeah. on. But it's uh, it's just a just the respect that they had for each other and. That just it's just a special relationship. I can't believe that we're we're getting Rafa in his prime at 36 and going to con- contend against a 18 year old who's just been. I mean, I, I don't understand how like how he has the ment. It's not fair to have the mental and physical aspect of tennis figured out at this age. We just don't see it often in tennis, and uh, we got to see it with both of these guys that will that will likely face each other. It looks like if Carlos hangs on. Yeah, five all. Nori does end up holding in that second set. I just think. Again, what's so fascinating is that there's not a definitive matchup of the next-gen crew. And when I say the next generation, everyone's like, well, these guys are older at the age of 21. You know what I mean. The 96s to 98s who the next-gen campaign was built upon. Of course, I'm talking about Daniil Medvedev, Alex Virov, Stefano Tsitsipas. I think they're all individually very fun matches. I don't think – because they haven't – you know, Zverev – uh, Zira versus Tsitsipas last year, French Open semifinals, five-set match, was a very good match. And Tsitsipas goes up to up two sets to love. Zverev played awful. 
Zverev started working his way back. And by the fourth set of that match, it was just good tennis. And Zverev had his opportunities at the start of the fifth. And again, I thought it was a fun match. It was not the highest quality from start to finish. I think people sort of write that one off. Medvedev and Zverev have played in a bunch of different Masters events. And, you know, they've played in year-end finals. But we haven't really seen them play, obviously, in a Grand Slam final. And, you know, Zverev's one Grand Slam final is against Dominic Team. Medvedev's played Nadal in his, or, or Djokovic in his Grand Slam finals. And Tsitsipas played Djokovic in his. Berrettini, Rublev don't really flirt with those guys from a rivalry standpoint. I think people are already excited about Alcaraz. And, like, I do think... To the common fan, and again, tweet at us, at A.L. Gruskin, at Cracked Rackets. Let us know your five favorite men's matchups. I think in terms of the hype, Alcaraz Nadal is probably number one. You talk about it. The three sets they played at Indian Wells in tsunami conditions. Alcaraz then goes on in a Nadal-less Miami. Who's going to be the best of the rest? It was Carlos Alcaraz. We are ready to anoint him, and I think we still are the next big thing. Mm. I think when you're on your short list of top five, Alcaraz Tsitsipas has to be in there. You look at what the two of them have done over the past, you know, nine months of competition, the five-setter they played at the U.S. Open, the straight-set, you know, Alcaraz win in Miami where Tsitsipas is up in the first and playing unbelievable tennis to go up 5-2, and then Alcaraz takes it from him in straight sets. They just went three sets in the Barcelona quarterfinal. That was a three-set win for Alcaraz as well. I honestly think, and again, this is recency bias, but I think people hold the Alcaraz Tsitsipas matchup in higher regard than, and some of that's off court yeah. stuff, of course. But like, are you more excited for Alcaraz Tsitsipas or Medvedev Tsitsipas? Alcaraz Tsitsipas for sure. I think I mean, that I think is the answer. What the, what teenage what do these two teenagers on the tour have done for us this year is they've given the tennis fans a, a new energy. I feel like Carlos Alcaraz and Holger Rune. I feel like those two guys have brought uh, just a passion for the game and. They're just all they're all in on their tennis and they speak about the game in just a, a different manner than I think we, we've it's just I don't know what it is. It's these guys, they have some type of flair about their game and the way they carry themselves. It's just they respect tennis so much and you can just tell that they are fully dedicated. They both mentioned that they're not going to be content until they reach world number one. Their goals are, are lofty, but their work ethic matches it. And I think we've seen that with Alcrez and I, we're seeing with Holger now just cracking inside the top 50 for the first time in his career. And I think. Tennis is the tennis fans. It's always like what's next. And when these guys that are up next just have these personalities that are very uh, endearing, it's just a, a win for tennis. And I think uh, these two bright stars are, are going to be uh, stars for a long time on the store. Yeah, I, and again, Alcaraz right now it currently playing his uh, round of 16 match against Cam Nori, and again, it's five all there in the second set. We'll see what Alcaraz is able to do, 40-30 for him in his five all service game. Do we need to add to Carlos Alcaraz, three and five over Basilashvili? It was a pretty routine win, and again, just his comfort level as a mover, his ability to incorporate the drop shot and keep you off tilt and just yeah, to get inside out, inside. You just never know what direction he's going to go. And it's not as though, but, oh, does he have the power to execute those shots and make you uncomfortable? It's like he has weapons and you never know where he's going to go. Mm-hmm. No, and he can defend as well. Yeah, and the backhand gets fair. better and better. Yep. No, and he's better defending off that wing. And the, 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 the slice backhand, is he can mix it up a little bit better now. The drop shot is... That just makes him unfair. I mean, when you have to respect his forehand inside out, uh, and then you can he can just drop you into the into the deuce court short. It's it's just, a, and then he's got the, his tossed in lob. His, his lob off both wings 
how he just he, he just gets just enough height on it to, to the ball is not going to give you much time to recover. That's the part that's like he already has the Andy Murray. And he can volley. And he can yeah, volley. And he can volley. He it's can just volley like too. you're like, oh, but what about his second serve? Like sometimes it sits up. You're like, all right, cool, dude. Yeah. Um, or you're like, bad haircut. You're like, the all right, fine. Match, the better team matches what showed like he's just at a different level mentally, and he can he knows how to execute patterns. Even on his bad days, he's got another. He's got other places that he can go with his game that makes him. He's not one dimensional in any in any of his attacks, and he can defend. Yeah, it just he's got the complete package. Yeah, I don't really I, know what his weakness is. No, I think you're right. Uh, I think that's fair. I would also say he there's a natural ability for him to engage and embrace crowds that sometimes mm-hmm. is a little bit more manufactured for some players. You can't be anything but amazed by Carlos Alcaraz's performances, and he does such a good job of capitalizing on that energy. And so, again, yeah, Alcaraz, I, stud. I don't know if there's another athlete in, that, in any of the major sports, whether it's basketball, football, soccer, like that has this type of – star power and like it's like a known commodity that he will be the world number one it's just a matter of time like people like not even Luka Doncic is at that level where it's like he can be the best he's not he's got Jan he's got all these like this guy is I would bet every dollar in my bank account that he's going to reach world number one it's just like it seems like it's inevitable at some point maybe maybe he's close I don't think maybe yeah I don't think so though yeah He's, he's, he's probably the closest thing I guess Mahomes or yeah, I was gonna say Dustin Johnson. No, I don't know UFC fighting well enough. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you would think so. It'll be interesting if Sports Center plays a pilot to take advantage of this guy's youth and charisma. That's that we just have to capitalize on what this guy brings to the game. It's electric. So let yeah, he's gonna bring in all types of crazy deals and. We'll see. No, it'll be interesting to see if Rafa Carlos get any shout out on SportsCenter if they do end up playing. But again, that's where they both stand. Let's go on the flip side. And again, I talk about the best matches to watch. Just to finish that list, top five on the men's side. I think in a Djokovic Nadal list doesn't count. I actually do think, well, uh, man, it's tough. I would put Alcaraz versus Nadal one. I want to see Alcaraz play Djokovic. I mean, Medvedev versus Tsitsipas is really Medvedev Nadal is always exceptional, of course, as well. But I'm so sick. Kyrgios Nadal's got to be. Oh, Kyrgios, that's a great call. That's a great hidden gem. I also do think Zverev Tsitsipas. I mean, they're friendly, but they don't love each other. Like, there's definitely some yeah. some negativity between the two of them. Yeah. There's a serious rivalry. I think Zverev does look at Tsitsipas as, like, a direct competitor and peer to everything he wants to accomplish. I like the Sinner-Zverev matchups as well. I think they just bring out good tennis. Sinner in big matches is always fun. He just I want to see it more on the, on the biggest stage. But, now, again, these are all good matchups. I don't think there's a definitive oh. next-gen rivalry, though. And that's why Alcaraz is already in the mix. Uh, yeah, I can't. It feels like that's. I was just gonna think of like, give me like somebody weird, like Bublik versus Zverev, but Bublik's up to zero in that rob where it's like, oh, yeah, I can't. There's, there's not that much, there's not a lot of distaste or rivalry type atmospheres. I was actually just talking about this with uh, some college tennis guys that were saying, like, that's what, and you've said it on the last podcast, I think, is like the rivalries is like, that's what we love college tennis for. It's like the ATP not having that, but. Um, we, we had it and I think we'll get it back if we have, you know, Carlos and these Runes and these guys breaking through, we'll start to get that. Um, oh. but yeah, t- 
well, I, I, I want to see it. I want to see some of the youngsters get, and, and maybe Jack Draper. I don't know. We'll see. He he looks pretty good at Madrid. Yeah. No. Again, and I mean, but he's not. He's not there. He's just not. Yeah. Yeah. But and for the record, again, for Rafa goes big's first serve right to save match point number one. Then down six five, just in typical Rafa fashion. Uh, you know, gets it backhand deep in the court and just neutralizes things until eventually he can find a forehand to be aggressive with, and you know is ultimately able to draw the error from David Goffin and just. That's what Rafa ends up doing so frequently. And just, you know, again, for him to six-month layoff, guy doesn't miss a beat. That's why he remains the guy to beat, I think, unequivocally. as Or not unequivocally, but he's still the guy entering the French Open. And hopefully we do get to see him play Alcaraz because, boy, would that be a fun data point for all of us heading into Roland Garros. With that in mind, let's move into our biggest shocker of the result mm-hmm. thus far. And by the way, you look at the seeds still alive, other than Casper Ruud, who he has just struggled here in this clay since Miami. And obviously he makes the know. final there. We feel like, oh boy, after winning three straight 250s on clay last year, isn't he going to be poised for a massive clay court season? Casper Ruud losing his first match to Dusan Lajevic in three sets. Now the deuce, always a tricky player, but that's your only top eight seed that's been eliminated from competition thus far. Other than that, everything's pretty much gone chalk. Kubi Hercott's taking advantage of that opening. He's into the quarterfinals, and we'll talk about him momentarily. Still, I think it's a surprise that number eight seed Felix Ogier-Aliassime gets to the quarterfinals because not only does he get there, he beats Yannick Sinner one and two. And before that, beats Christian Garin three and oh on his way to the quarterfinals. Felix needed what? this breakout run. Again, you look for him quickly. I apologize, Nate. Felix coming into this no. one, you know, makes the Marseille final, then loses first round Indian Wells, first round Miami, second match Marrakesh, first round for him in Monte Carlo. Now he made a quarterfinal in Barcelona where he found some rhythm, you know, quarterfinal in Estoril, knocked out by Corda. But two fantastic wins. His best two clay court wins of the season, I'd say, to get to the quarterfinals here in Madrid. When the draw came out, I thought Nadal and Felix had the toughest draws <laughs> of the top 10 players. And I thought Felix was kind of doomed after his level coming in. And yeah, the way he, the way he ripped through center today, I did not expect it. I thought when you had the, like when you first said kind of the matchups that I enjoyed most, I was hoping that that would be the uh, first, first of many nice, tight, crazy uh, matches of their rivalry, but that did not happen. It was a, a quick one and two showing for, for Felix, but um, no, Felix, tenant, we, we need him to find his level because he his ceiling is so high and he's such a, uh, a fun personality at, at the top of tennis that a lot of these fans gravitate towards. And we, we need to see those clashes that he's about to have with Sasha Zverev. And that should be a, a get your popcorn ready type match. And two guys are going to slug it out on the clay courts. And I think that's one I'm, I'm, I've got circled that I, I will not be missing that one. It's, um, it's another fun rivalry, by the way. That, that could be a... Well, I was going to say, you look for Felix Ujirali-Asim, another good one, by the way, Felix versus Stefanos Tsitsipas. They've played eight times, Tsitsipas five and three, Zverev and Felix have played six times, Zverev four and two against them. By the way, what's always fun looking at the Zverev, who he's played most in his career to date, because again, some of the rivalries are starting to get there. He and Medvedev have played 12 times, six and six career head to head. He and Tsitsipas, 10 times. It's a 7-3 split to Tsitsipas. 
they have played a lot. And by the way, Kyrgios Zverev seven times, 4-3 advantage to Nick. It's like the numbers are slowly starting to get there for all of these young guys, which is indicative of, again, it's the next-gen era. But sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to cut you off. Go on. No. The Rublev and boss, like you said, that's another – they've faced each other, I don't know, probably, what, nine, eight, eight times? So, did you read that off? Uh, eight, seven? Who? Zverev and, and – No, Rublev and Tsitsipas. Uh, Rublev and Tsitsipas, let's see, they have played a career total, I believe the number is nine. Nine times, nine five, times. four edge to Rublev. That's another good rivalry. Wow. So, no, we get both of those matches in the quarterfinals of Madrid, which uh, that's, that's all you can ask for. It's a nice preview of what we'll probably see a couple of these matchups potentially at Roland Garros. Um, but, yeah, Felix finding his level again, finding his confidence. He's just, he's just up and – maybe this is how his career is just going to go. I know he's still young and has a chance to kind of solidify himself as being a consistent performer. And he's, I mean, what he's, he's already top 10, so it's not like he's not, he's, he's an excellent tennis player, but I feel like for him to be one of those guys we see in the semifinals and quarterfinals at events consistently, um, he's going to have to turn that uh, corner mentally. And I've, for him to do that in Madrid is, is pretty special as we get a, a big time matchup there. Well, he served so well in his match against Green, made 81% of his first serves, won 70% of his second serve points. And again, when you have that sort of freedom on the serve, you can take the big cracks on the return of serve. And I don't think he's a bad mover on clay courts. He's not the most fluid, but he can slide into his shots, not sliding out or slide out of his shots, not sliding into them necessarily. But I just feel like with the heaviness of his forehand and the fact that his serve is spin based and can still rip through these courts and create so much space for himself with how much more time he has as a returner, not that much, but that extra second as a returner on the clay court, I do feel as though clay should be a good surface for Felix. And again, you know, context being key, who has he lost to on clay this season? Well, he lost 7-6 in the third to Alex Mulcan in Marrakesh. Mulcan goes on to make the final of that event. He loses 2-6 and six to Musetti in Monte Carlo. Musetti, a completely different player on the clay court still. I'm sure he'd want that match back. A three-set loss to Schwartzman on a day where he had already beaten Tiafo earlier in the day. Like, I don't see any shame in that loss. Sure. The quarter loss two and two is not great. Like that's the no, that's the only we, one I look at. I think Ugh. in a vacuum, none of these losses look look bad. But it's when that they they've happen, compounded. Yeah, yeah. When you stack them. Yeah, but now, them. but but what I'm saying, I guess, is that I wasn't. I didn't think he was playing particularly poorly coming into this event, and now that he stacked up wins, I'm ready to consider him dangerous. I suppose he just, he just looked like a guy that could not win on his B day. It looked like he needed an A day to win. No, but yeah. I agree, he wasn't playing like miserable. It just looked like. When he was not at his best, he was struggling those ways, find those ways to win. But maybe, you know, his coach has had some success on the clay courts in his past. Maybe uh, we got to find the stats on, on what Felix does when uh, Coach when Uncle, Uncle Tony is on, the, <laughs> on, on premises. Yeah, no, I mean, again, for him to beat one, center one and two today, you look at what Felix was, again, able to do so well. It started with the serve, and, I mean, he just dictated everything against Sinner from the start, made 71% of his first serves, won 90% of his first serve points. He didn't face a break point on the day. And again, for Yannick Sinner, who played such a physical match just to get uh, two physical matches, really, for Sinner, uh, to get to the round of 16, you look for Yannick Sinner, who, of course, earned the victory over Alex Diemenauer, uh, 4-1 yesterday, three sets for him in his first match against Tommy Paul. <sighs> what went wrong? For Sinner today. I mean, again, we both watched this match. Was it a credit to Felix? I like. It was amazing to see how Sinner, many shanked yeah. balls there were. Yeah, no, that's true. And 
I do think like you, you give credit to Tommy Paul at some point in here because like he did push center physically for I don't know that match took I watched a good portion of it. what was it uh yeah three three hour match with with Tommy Paul in round one then he goes back and you, you play a grinder like Demon R not an easy schedule as well for center who's been on court a lot the last few weeks so maybe some of it is fatigue but I think the bigger point here was Felix finding his forehand finding his his, his is, is putting kind of moving forward and, and dictating off that front foot. And Felix, like we've talked in the past, is one of the biggest weapons on the tour with the, with that, with the serve and the forehand combination. Um, he's up there with the Berrettinis and Alcarezes, um, is one of the biggest hitters. And um, yeah, I think, I, I don't think the rest of their career, I'd be surprised if there was ever that big of a discrepancy again, where Felix doubles him up on points almost. It was like 135 to 60 something, if I recall, but yeah, I don't think that that I think that rivalry has a chance to be a special one. I just think that matchups, you know, when you're playing a great player, you're not on your your best day physically, and one guy's confidence is through the roof. That's kind of where you you see a, a two and one result. Well, Sinner made his first serve so well. I just think that again, um, his ability one. to, uh, or you know, he made sixty eight percent of them, but Felix was hitting the return of serve so cleanly, and it just felt mm-hmm. like there was, you know, yeah, again, I don't know if it was a physical issue for Yannick Sinner. He just didn't hit his spots well at all today, or when he did, it sat up, and you know, even when he tried to go kick T on the deuce side, Felix was able to run around that ball, find a forehand, and you just can't give Felix forehands to dictate with, and just Felix did a great job of absorbing the spin of Yannick Sinner, redirecting his shot, and again, Felix was always on his front foot in this match, or Sinner committed an error. Sinner just, he didn't have it today. Now, do you think Sinner's, what is Sinner's weakness? Is it, is return to serve one of them? No, he's just a little rigid. Like it's yeah. it's here's the thing, Sinner is exceptional. Like you're asking me what's his weakness, he doesn't have one. Um is the truth. Now, is the it, thing is, is it's it's very one speed. It's just, you know, again, he doesn't do off yeah. speed. That's not his thing. He hits the ball cleanly. He's gotten better at finding angles, but even when he finds angles, it's still such a heavy angle, and such yeah, a heavy shot. It's just like there's no two-thirds pace really. No. For, I mean, there is, but it, he he he's continuing to work on clearly finding but that 5% yeah. ball. He doesn't have that ball that he puts over three feet higher than his normal ball to give himself time to recover. It feels like that you see a lot of these guys like Carlos and Rafa and Novak where they, where they give themselves time to recover. It seems like he just, no matter how far you get him off the court, he's swiping at it. And it's like, he might take the angle, but he's not, he doesn't give himself much time to, yeah, but he's not, he's not trying to play defense as well. He's a guy that wants to play on his front foot, wants to dictate and be the one in charge. So no, I think center. I like him. I think the word rigid explains kind of his his game in a in a nutshell. But uh, yeah, I still think his ceiling is high. He's just a guy that his, his movement is not quite as clean as as you, you as a guy like Felix, I would say. Yeah, I mean, well, actually, I'd say they're pretty comparable. Oh, I don't. I see. Yannick has gotten better and better as a mover, and I actually think he is pretty. He's on the baseline well. He also his ball is so heavy and like his ability to rip through cross court both wings it's just special and mm-hmm. again it was an off day for him there's no denying that fact I'm still very much on the center bandwagon boy would I have loved absolutely loved to have seen another Yannick Sinner Alex Virev matchup but again a Sinner FAA battle should be fun as well and that bottom half of the draw Sinner FAA Tsitsipas Rublev that's loaded. Like that's as yeah. good as it gets. That's all. They're yeah. all top eight. Yep. Yep. If you're a betting, if you're a betting man, are you taking center over under one and a half majors for his career? Over. Okay. Now, yeah. now, if you say five and a half under, but I think he can win two. 
I think he can absolutely win two. I think I was anyone, say two and a half. I, was I think say two anyone and a half. in this era who wins one will win a second one. I know that's a weird way of saying it, but is there any reason to think the ceiling for any of these players is limited to just one slam? I would say no. And I think once you have the confidence of being like, oh, I actually can do this because mentally, I mean, again, not to keep harping on this bandwagon because I, the more I, you know, I was ready to be out on the Zverev bandwagon. When he lost that first set to Marin Cilic, I was, you know, I was ready to call it quits. Like, this is just not the year for him. It's all going awry. Like, he is seriously riding the struggle bus. Then he ultimately gets through that match in three sets, the beneficiary of a withdrawal from Musetti. He now advances to the quarterfinals against Felix. I mean, he's probably the most prominent <laughs> example, right? You feel like if yeah. he wins one, he can win three. Yep. If he, I, but he just like, but I until he wins one, out, he's not going to win anything. Exactly. And I feel like that's your point. Feel like when, when you brought that up, the first person that comes to mind for me is Baron. I did see like, I, we've seen glimpses of it here and there, but against Musetti, I got it moves very well on clay. I was surprised to see Sasha hit the forehand down the line with success and hit it for clean winners. Like I, I think he, I, I forget what this, he had. He wasn't like Rublev hitting 34 winners today. But he found that forehand wing at a high high level, and he was taking some hacks at it, which is a shot that he has been he, he's resi- he's resisted that one. He the, the one that he has to pull the trigger on down the line, where he likes to take the cross court, the shot that he knows it can keep him in the rally. But he, he's going to have to do that, especially when he wants to make the push to, to win one of these titles, because you know we, we've seen him play Medvedev in, in these finals, where Medvedev just camps on the forehand wing. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Again, we've seen this Felix uh, Zverev matchup six times, 4-2 advantage to Zverev. You know, again, that's your bottom half of the draw. What, what have you thought of Tsitsipas? I think he really has reaffirmed that he is one of the three best clay court, you know, four best clay court players in the world. And again, for him on the clay, one loss so far this season to Carlos Alcaraz in three sets the week directly after his title in Monte Carlo. Straight sets over Grigor. Straight sets over wildcard, Luca Pui, serving exceptionally well. Yep. Just the authority with which he hits his plus one forehand on this clay, you're just in trouble because the weight of that shot, you're now falling backwards in the court and there's just not much you can do about it. He also just, it's a stupid thing. Holgaruna does this exceptionally well also, but their ability to hit the defensive on the run sliding forehand elevated down the line where it's just like as an opponent, there's nothing you can do with that ball. Because sure, you want to try and take it to the open space on the cross court. A, it's very clear that's where you're going. And as a defender, that's all you want to do is you know survive to that next shot and be like, I know where you have to target next. I have another shot to get us back to neutral. B, the depth Holder. he puts on that ball. Yeah. Like if you want to try and take it on the rise, good luck to you. That's an on the rise backhand cross court early. Like that's a freaking really difficult shot to make. Holger. But even more so, Stefanos hits that on-the-slide defensive forehand so well. And just he moves exceptionally well on these clay courts also. And he's just physically – the guy is a monster on this surface. Yeah, Holger executed that shot in Barcelona against Zverev at a high rate. He I mean, hits that shot. Holger, that's like – if you ask me what is the thing he does that's most elite, I know that's such a stupid thing, but that shows you how much tennis I'm watching, that like those are the little things. It's just like you – no one out like very few people can do that, and he mm-hmm. does it with ease. Mm-hmm. No, and uh, since he Poss has had that shot for a while now, he's yeah, he's obviously this is just where he ha- has his confidence. It's on the clay courts, on the red clay, he seems to find his best level. And, um, I mean, obviously, he's had success on uh hard courts as well, but I just feel like on a clay court, he is definitely a top three player, and the way he serves and 
he's able to maintain the, the his shot tolerance is very high but you know what his the thing that makes him i think special is he, he comes forward and he's got the overhead he's got the hands he just yeah i think the what we've seen him be able to do in the front court is what kind of gives him a higher ceiling than those other top 10 guys that can hang from the baseline. But he, he'll punish he'll, he, when he punches the ball, he's coming forward and making you pay with pressure. We got a question from at it's a bumpy road 44. Appreciate the question. Bigger eye popping result curious over Rublev in Miami or FAA over Sinner in Madrid. It's a great oh, question. It's a great question. Great question. It is. I would go with, Ooh, I would Did probably he, say Felix question? over Sinner. Felix over Sinner, and, and here's why. Kyrgios has played really good tennis through the first but he- like third of the season. 59 minutes. 59 minutes. Rublev yeah. couldn't – not even an hour on court. But that's a, different, that's a different question. What was the more dominant result? It was Nick Kyrgios. Okay. That I agree with you. You weren't shocked. I, I was stunned. I was there and I was stunned. No, because that's – like, I think we said it on a podcast before that that was the one for Kyrgios where it's like, hey, he's either going to show win. up to this one. Didn't we win. talk about it? Didn't we, we talk did. about it? Yeah. I thought he would win the match, but under an hour? Like, yeah. that was one of his best performances of his career. Like, All right, that's top. a good argument. No, it's a good argument. Here's the Great thing. Question. Okay, Get you're right. No, you are correct. Add it to Bumpy Road 44. You are correct. The more eye-popping result is Kyrgios of Rublev because to do that to Andre Rublev, it's just a reminder of that oh, when Nick yeah. Kyrgios plays his best tennis, he can do that sort of thing to a guy like even as good as Rublev, who, by the way, has silently been excellent this year and firmly ensconced in, in inside the ATP Top 10. But Felix's again, is more relevant. Felix is more relevant yeah. because fe- a confident Felix on yeah, play true. is that's just – a, is an element we haven't seen yet. And now he's beaten Green, and now he ran through Sinner. Again, we're going to see that confidence tested against Alex Virov, but a loss to Mulcan in three sets, 7-6 in the third, is not a bad loss. And again, like Diego Schwartzman, not a bad loss. Now I need to see another good, you know, he, these are solid wins. I need a good win out of him. This Virov match, especially a shaky Zverev. You know what? Do we want to brand it a cross-off? Like, I don't think either of them are winning the French Open, but we definitively cross off the loser of this match. As a non-contender? Yeah, as a non... You are no longer on the short list. That's fair. I think that's fair. All right, it's a cross-off match. Yep. No, I think that's a good point. And I think this is... Yeah, I think this is where where these guys are starting to fine-tune themselves. Zverev has come in after taking a tough loss to Rune. I don't... I think he's started to gain that confidence back a little bit. But I think... I think even these guys that are elite, they do take a when they take a ding like that against a guy that they're a heavy favorite against in an early round. I think even for a guy like Sasha that has won a ton in his career, that kind of put, it's a chink in the armor. And I think that's like he's he's got a little battle wound, but whoever wins this, they're right back in the mix. I think with the right mindset that they can compete and win a grand slam on, on the clay. So no, I like that take. Andre Rublev has played thirty matches this season. What's his record? 30 matches, I'm going to say he's 20, 20.6. 25 and 5. Good guess Damn. by you, Nate. And Price is right. You were under, not over. So you would have won. Congratulations. Um, 83% win percentage. 83%. You look at who the five losses are to. Sinner in three sets in Monte Carlo. The Kyrgios blitzing. Fritz in straight sets in the Indian Wells semifinal, but he beats Dimitrov, Herkets, and Tiafo in that tournament. Three-set loss to Felix in Rotterdam. Uh, 
four-set loss, third-round Australian Open, coming off of COVID for him uh, in Australia. Like, he has taken a leap this year. He just doesn't mm-hmm. lose to players he's not supposed to lose to anymore. And again, for him, victories over Jack Draper survives in three sets. He's there. on the road. Draper, by the, the way, road. is like 25 and six now overall in the year. Something crazy like he's that. Uh, yeah. Oh, like my God. Done. Lefty weapons. I'm, I've been fully turned. I'm on the Jack Draper bandwagon. And then he beats a tricky Dan Evans who has had, I don't want to say had his number, but you look for, uh, the, in, for them in their head-to-heads. Dan Evans has always been a guy that's given Andre Rublev problems, and he beat him twice in 2020 in Dubai, and he beat they him in get, Cincinnati. That was a good match. Yeah, but Rublev's now gotten him twice this year, and that's indicative mm-hmm. of the growth. The off-speed stuff, the slice, the out-of-the-strike range, doesn't throw Rublev off as much as it might have early in mm-hmm. his career. And again, that's a testament to the growth of Andre Rublev. And so Rublev Tsitsipas, again, an exceptional rivalry. They've played nine times, second most Rublev's played any opponent in his career, five and four. He is against Stefanos the last time they played on clay. Tsitsipas beat him three and three in the Monte Carlo final last year. Uh, yeah, of course, they played that exceptional Hamburg final and then uh, in 2020, then Roland Garros quarterfinals back to back on clay. It, this should be a fun match. It's gonna. It's always fun when the again a lot of power tennis on the court there. So we've talked about three of the core, uh, three of the four quarterfinals now on the Madrid's men's side. And again, it's going. Uh, did Alcaraz get the victory? Did he ultimately? No. Cam Nori seven six oh, second sure. set. That said, Alcaraz up two one a break in the third. So. We're going to leave it all in regardless. By the way, Cam Nori, physical, just nice. I, I would argue pound for pound, Cam Nori is the fittest player. Not in the Rafa category, of course, but pound for pound, Nori is as fit as any player on the ATP Tour. And just, he is a better Jensen Brooksby right now, like the lefty version. It's just high percentage tennis. He works the angles. He takes away everything you want to do. When you ask the question, what's the weakness? There's no definitive answer like, I really like Cam Norrie's game. I think he's a high upside player. But again, three of your four quarterfinals, Zira versus FAA, Rublev versus Tsitsipas, Nadal versus the Alcaraz Norrie winner. Hubi's so good. I mean, Hubi is just everything. Sorry, go ahead. Hubi, yeah. First off, one thing on the Rublev Tsitsipas thing 21 and a half games right now, Vegas has it. Give me the under on that. I'm going 6 4, 6 3, Steph. And then on the haircut, is that where, where do you fall? Am I am I off base? Are you? How do you feel on that take right there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Pass will win. I think this goes three sets. I think these two just play three set match, and I think Pass is very much a drama sort of guy. You're on the over there, okay? Um, with Hercot, I I do like. First off, I don't love watching him play until he hits the forehand. Like I want to, I want to see him unleash the forehand. Like it's just like a guy that tall. A guy with that much like length and stuff, just throw that length into your swing on the forehand side. His backhand, he'll step in, throw his shoulders into the shot, and unleash it and flatten it out. The forehand, he he plays with too much. It's like he plays too safe on it. It's just, dude, I can see these guys in the quarterfinals or semifinals lay some wood on the ball and push people to corners and come in with your hands. He's got ridiculous, like his hand, his doubles game, his, his hands are unbelievable. He's got great overheads. Get to the front court off that forehand and. Yeah, I just punish these players. It's like he just plays too safe for me, and I think that's he gets. He's obviously gonna gonna get to these quarterfinals. I think consistently with his serve, he serves one thirties, and he just like, doesn't miss balls. But when you get to this level at a Masters one thousand, I think he's got to find a way to put more on the forehand. 
Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think, I mean, again, all of these matchups are going to be really good in Madrid. And just, again, to quickly summarize here on the men, and then we'll quickly finish up on the women's side. Hubi Hercots just makes quarterfinals now in 1,000-level events. And you look for Hubi Hercots again at the Masters 1,000s now in his last 52 weeks. Canada quarterfinals, Cincinnati, round of 16, Indian Wells, quarterfinals, Paris, semifinals, Indian Wells, round of 16, Miami, semifinals, Monte Carlo, quarterfinals, Madrid, quarterfinals, 21 and eight in his last 52 weeks. The guy just gets to quarterfinals now. And that's that. That's what keeps you in the top 10 is quarterfinals of the biggest events. His wingspan, his athleticism, people don't talk enough about how great of an athlete Hoopy is. Just like pound for pound, again, the combination of power, fluidity, size. You could make a case he's the most athletic player on the ATP Tour. And I know that's a spicy take. I think it's a good take. Like, I do think pound for pound you could make that take. I think that's your hottest take of the year, right? Who's the better athlete? Medvedev, Zverev, Hercots. Zverev. Is he as fluid as Hoopy? Um, I mean, if you're going to talk about like finesse, if, that, if you're adding that to athleticism, then, then no. But you're just talking about like run, jump, cut, and t- like just hand eye coordination, uh, live, like how, li- like, yeah, I think Zverev's got like a lot of more quick twitch fibers, I would say. Um, not by a lot, but yeah, I mean, Hubie makes up for that with his hand and his finesse game, but. I think if yeah, I think if you put these guys in uh, other other athletic fields, I think Zverev performs higher. Yeah, I mean, so his body is just—he's built in a lab. I mean, Zverev is—that's that's how you build a tennis player. If you were going to go in the laboratory and build him, six-six, yeah. lean, shoulders, just limbs for day. Yeah. No, um, fair. I would say no. I mean, again. The flip side is you look for Djokovic, 3-2 win over Monfils. I think that might have been the best he's played in any match since he's made his return to the clay. Obviously, he gets the withdrawal from Murray, and boy, would we all like to see that match. Yeah, and, and I mean, but Hubi, 7-6 in the third win over Davidovich Fokina, which he follows up today with a straight set win over the deuce, Dusan Lajevic. Where are you with Novak? What do you want to see in this match? I think Novak needed match play. I mean, I, I, I think he... Against a guy like Murray, who's going to give him some of those a, a good shot tolerance throughout a match and that, let him work the point over, I think that would have been a match that Novak w- would like to get under his belt before Roland Garros. But um, no, Novak's level is. I mean, he had a he looked really good in, in round one. I think he'll uh, he's starting to find his legs, and I think he's you can already kind of notch him as a contender at Roland Garros. I think you can just tell with uh, how he looks physically, and you know he's starting to get that confidence back, and as he was out of match play for a long time. He, he needed, he needs all of them. Yeah. No. Oh, and again, by the way, Alcaraz three, one now in that third set, as we watch, I look her, Hubie's going to stretch him. Hubie's going to play physical. Hubie's going to throw in drop shots. He's going to try and be an aggressive, uh, the aggressor. He's going to make Novak uncomfortable, which is what Novak needs at this point as he works his way back. And by the way, he wins that one. He would get the winner of Nadal Alcaraz. So didn't have- happen in Monte Carlo, but we are looking like, again, regardless of how Madrid goes on the men's side, it's going to be fascinating. And we're going to have some answers as we approach Paris. This Netflix doc has had some big-time moments this year. I hope they capitalize <laughs> on this because this, this, this Netflix doc better be epic. Yeah, I mean, one would hope it's very, I very good. See, I want to see how Novak – like, I hope they follow Novak closely on, like, how he's recovered physically not being – you know, being out of match play. I think it's hard to tune back up at 35 years old or 34 years old. I want to know what these guys – 
do to get their bodies right. So hopefully they got some of that behind the scenes footage. I'm I'm kind of geeked to see what they're able to capture with this. Yeah, I, it's again, it's going to be a really really fun week of play. Who you got? Who you taking to take home the yeah. title? Um, give me, give me the winner of Rafa Carlos, and I think if I'm, uh, give me, give me Raul, give me Carlos Alcaraz. I went against him last week. Give me Carlos Alcaraz. Yes, I like it. I like it. I mean, again. Three sets for him today. Rafa went three sets as well. Maybe that's Alcaraz. That weird? Throwing... Like, he's like, Did Alcaraz he's... throw the set to Nori so that no one can say he came in the fresher of the two? He's like, I have to earn like he, this, so it has to be a, a level th- playing field. He's in a third set. He's 18, and like I have no worries that this guy is going to be good physically to win this match and be ready for the Rafa in the next round. Like That is where you know he's just surpassed the level of uh, expectations of that we haven't seen before. It's like you and I are talking about this like he's gonna like gonna be the top ten guy for sure. But I mean, yeah, he's up just a break in the third set. But yeah, Alcaraz, I think I think he's just got he's mentally there. He's just checked in every match he plays. He's mentally all in, and I think that's why he's able to just find his best level as much or more than anybody else. Yeah, uh, fair. Okay, so with all of that said, again, that's your pick, <sighs> man. I'll go. Oh, that top half is just so brutal. But so is the bottom, man. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. This is probably your best quarterfinal of the year thus far on the ATP tour. Yep. This is a big title. Oh man, I'll take Rafa, but I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good about it at all. I just I can't pick against. How do you feel him. about Rafa's uh, his kit? Do you like the kit? I don't hate it. Rafa can wear whatever he wants at this point. I'm just nothing makes me happier than when he takes off the headband at the end of the match. It's just like the best reveal of all reveals. How, how many hairs has he lost? Yeah, I, I want him to do the count as well. Yeah, let's do the follicle count after each match. Is it worth it at this point? Every victory, you're sacrificing a few more boys. Um, now again, so that's where we're at on the on the men's side, on the women's side. Semifinal number two being played right now between Jill Teichman and Jess Pagula, but it's just been one of those weeks for for Teichman. And certainly the draw opened up with the withdrawal of Iga Svantec, but for Teichman, straight sets over Kavitva, straight sets over Fernandez, straight sets over Robachna, straight sets over Kalnina. She's got Pagula now. I love the lefties game. And I again, you look yeah. right now for Teichman. I believe the Cincinnati finalist, your match has yet to begin between her and Jess Pagula. I think it's next on court in Madrid. Who you got in that one? What do you think of Teichman's run? Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Titan, would you say her breakout was in Cincinnati in 2019? No, she won a title. No, she, I mean, oh, in 2019? Yeah. Was that, was that when it was? When she beat Osaka? Or was no, that? that was last year. That was, like oh, last year. That, that was I this can't. past year. Yeah, no, I get it. No, I would say Lexington, she made the final right after the pandemic resumed. She had won a title, I believe, uh, the year before in Prague. and or Yeah, back-to-back titles. Or not back-to-back, but she won Prague and Palermo in 2019. That was really her breakout run. So, yeah, I think she's, she's a player that I've, we've seen kind of go up and down. I didn't think she looked great when I saw her in Miami. But she's regained her confidence and just play court tennis is players that have uh, just shown that that that's why they call them play court specialists. I don't know if she's a a play court specialist by definition, but I feel like when I, when I watch her play, she just looks more comfortable than most of these girls do sliding and moving around and finding kind of the patterns that she wants to find. I think Pagula, that kind of goes for her as well. She, Pagula has looked 
fantastic. And I think that's just, I, I guess what you get when you move on to surfaces that these, I don't, yeah, it's just like Pagula and, and her have been impressive as far as the movement standpoint. I think Jill's forehand uh, is, she's able to find the, just find the backhands of these, of these girls and, and kind of dominate with, with the forehand. And I think that's where she's found herself in the semifinal of Madrid. And I think that's an exciting matchup that um, if she capitalizes, this would be her biggest one of her career. Yeah, and so, again, it's going to be interesting. Pagula, just quietly underrated, and we talked about it extensively yeah. with David Kane earlier in the week, so I won't repeat myself here. Own Jabour into the final, and Jabour extraordinarily impressive using the drop shots, the Tough angles. Three and two win for her over Halep in the quarterfinals. Two and three over Katarina Alexandrova in the semifinals. She also earned a three-set win over Benchich, three-set win over Gracheva early in the tournament. I mean... Just her variety, her combination. All this continues to show is that it's anyone's ball game outside of Iga Sviantek. And right now, Jabour is quiet. You know, she's finally healthy once again this season. She's quite, in my top three. And she's been as consistent as anyone over the last 52 weeks. 47 and 17 overall. And again, it's not a really a single bad loss on her resume. You'd say Gavrilova, Indian Wells, this year was a bad loss. Three set loss, fine. First round loss to Alexandrova in Moscow at the end of last season, fine. But other than that, Pagula, Mertens, Muguruza, Kvitova, Kontaves, Halops, Collinses of the world. She's only losing to top 10 players, and she's also beating them as well. She's, I think she's maybe the most exciting player for me to watch on the women's side. I just think with her variety, and she plays the game with, like, it just feels like everything she does is premeditated. It's like, She's gonna dink this ball here, and then she's she's got the firepower, like it's sneaky firepower. You wouldn't like expect it with kind of her stature, but she can find the back end on the line and take a swipe at it. And her her strokes aren't exactly um, textbook, like like, but it's just like it works for her. And she's got just her own style and her own flair to her game. I think she's a great personality, and um, just I, I remember watching her and her and Bedosa. I mean, the women's tour is fun. Her and Bedosa have a good relationship, and watching watching them practice before. But what what she does on the practice court, it's like. She is just her craft. She reminds me of a, a little bit just flares of Fabrice Santoro with just the ability to work the slice into her game at a, such a um, just a unique way. But um, yeah, you got Jabir playing at a high level. I think she's, in my mind, the favorite right now to win this title. Yeah. And so I was in, I was in got a massive win though against Anisimova. I thought Anisimova was playing exceptionally well. I, that, that result surprised me. Yeah, I mean, Alexandrova, when she's striking the ball cleanly and finds her rhythm, she is just, again, she can hit through anyone. and just makes you so uncomfortable. At the same time, Jabour just takes you out of your comfort zone as well. She doesn't let you get into that rhythm, and she'll blitz you down the line. She's such a good mover, like so yeah. fluid, and just her, sli her slide might be the most powerful slide in the women's game. Yep, I think, yeah, and that, she, she moves around the court. It's, it's graceful, and it's... It's, she's an aggressive mover, and she just moves so – she just looks comfortable. I, I, you can't really make her – yeah, on the run, she comes up with the goods, and I think that's why, for me, she's like – when she's playing, like, I'm, I'm turning on Jabir. And, yeah, I think that's – who are your top three right now in the women's game where, where we've seen some, some flux on who can dominate? Who, who are your three that you're turning in, like, no matter what? I mean, Iga – I mean, yeah. I'm on the Rabakina bandwagon hard. I just the power yeah, tennis yeah. she can play. I just freaking love it. Uh, Von Drusova is the antithesis of that. The 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 angles she finds, the drop shots. 
they're all good. Like, it's all really good tennis right now. Again, the depth in both the men's and the women's game, it is more difficult to be number 50 in the world now, in my opinion, than it has ever been. And that's a testament to, again, the the work these players put in, what it takes to be successful nowadays. I mean, with all that said, you're taking Jabour, not a bad pick. I don't know. I just think it's one of those weeks for Teichman, who makes these sorts of runs and has yet to drop a set. But I'll take... (sighs) I'll agree with you. I'll take Owens. Let, let's rock and roll together on this one. Uh, with that said, Nate Dog, any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? That's the action in Madrid. You want to get me NCAA prediction? I'm going to – I plan on heading up to Columbus on Saturday to catch the NCAA tournament action. Uh, the Xavier women are up there as well. As, I mean, pretty loaded draw. Uh, they play Vanderbilt. I'm, I'm excited for that. But in the my prediction, let's get for the men's side. I think we talked about this, and I don't think I'm changing my mind on it. The Gators – of Florida, teams loaded. We know, obviously, Ben Sheldon um, at number one is going to be tough. You got the uh, Sam Rippus at two and so on. But they're, they're loaded top to bottom. And on the women's side, give me – this. I feel like it's open. I think there's like six teams I feel like that could have a shot here. Give me UNC. I think the, I think the Tar Heels take it. Interesting. Interesting. Give me the Tar Heels. I mean – I can't make a prediction because I'm Kirk Herbstreeting it. I'm going to be on the call, and so and I don't want made, to think I'm biased. You have not publicly made any any predictions on this. Huh? I made predictions for this weekend because I'm not on the call, but I'm not going to make any predictions about the quarterfinals onward because I don't want anyone to think I'm biased. I am very excited. There might be a Michigan-Ohio State part, what, four uh, potentially, and so if that happens, we both have to be there, Nate, probably. I will see you in Champagne May 21st. Let's freaking go. I'm excited for that oh, as baby. well. So, yeah, we'll get to hang out a little bit, have some fun. But with all that said, again, for the latest and greatest products, just check out tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15 at checkout. Where can they follow you guys? Twitter, Instagram, give it to me. Follow us on Instagram, tennis underscore point underscore USA. Follow us on Twitter, same thing. Follow us on Instagram, tennis underscore point. Um, yeah, that's uh, oh, shout out if you guys know if you, if you guys have a club that has a pro shop or wants to sell merchandise, follow, just hit us up on social media and our wholesaling team has been kicking off some really cool stuff. So, um, yeah, you guys can follow us um, in our website, tennis.com. Yeah, that's again, that sounds like a plan to me. Well, with that said, uh, again tennis-point.com for the latest and greatest a shout out as always to our latest and greatest our super producer daniel westoff for the of energy up he does making all of this content possible and again madrid college tennis postseason you name it we're covering it here at cracked rackets all that content available on the website crackedrackets.com with all of that said for my fantastic partner in crime, Nate Walrath, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point. From all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Nate Dog, what do you tell our listeners? That's the break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.